You're listening to Business Casual, a podcast about making dollars and cents Aha. in commercial real estate. Welcome back, everybody. This is Tim, the commercial guy, Churchwell, and I am here with Rent Ready Rob Symbiante uh, out of Florida down there. Yeah, we've been talking. We, we talked about multifamily a lot, and even Rob gave us this great new thing to start investigating basically where you rent out rooms. Uh, I'm going to look more into that and I hope you do too. And as promised, we're going to, we're going to get into a very debated topic right now, talking about office space. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. Now keep in mind, I do want to say that this is going to vary according to the geography again, though there are a lot of other variables that are going into this as well, which we'll get into. Rob, welcome back. Feeling great. Feeling good. Office space, not feeling as good as I am. <laughs> That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Did, uh, did, did you see that uh, visual capitalist picture the other day? Uh, which one? The office space one? Uh, I don't know if I did. Well, there's there's this picture I'm looking at. It's uh, how much empty office space there is. No. And this is assuming an 11-foot ceiling and a 20,000-square-foot floor. There are 48,125 floors, which essentially can go from ground to outer space <laughs> worth, of, worth of vacant flooring or worth of vacant office. Rob, Rob brought up, it's, uh, it's a great resource, by the way, visualcapitalist.com. Uh, it kind of takes this data and composite into a quick visual graphic for you. It's a great place to go. You get, you know, send it to your email. It's free. Yeah, they do have a paid version where you get a lot more information, but you can sign up for the free one. And which is all I have. But it's a great yeah. it's one of the it's a great resource. And you'll be surprised at some of the information that you can get from that very quickly. All right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, talking about the office space, you know, and does it also tell you how much of that space is vacant? No, that that is how much vacant space there is. Oh, there there's you go. Just uh, there's just under one billion square feet empty in the U.S. alone. So, uh, and I saw some numbers the other day about the office market's getting ready to lose. I think it was eighty billion dollars or something in value. Value yeah. two two hundred and eighty billion oh. in New York. Yeah, <laughs> in New York alone. Yeah, uh, it could be an opportunity. Well, I mean, New York right now is total vacancy is sixteen percent. Well, keep in mind, you know, there's an there's an old saying out there that I really live by. It says, "Out of chaos comes opportunity." So, and you follow things like Warren Buffett, uh, quite a few other, con- and it's called contrarians in the investment world. And you want to buy when everybody's selling. And you want to sell when everybody's buying. You know, there's a lot of money on the sidelines right now uh, that is waiting for opportunities. As a matter of fact, um, somebody just picked up a $45 million uh, office still out in California, that, and that's less than half the value of the property that, w- that was just purchased a couple of years ago. Uh, talking about that, so why are we seeing these vacancies, Rob? Because we decided that shutting down the country was a great idea and all of the people who left the office don't want to come back. And you want to know what? 
I I don't blame them. If I could do my job and my underwear at home with you know some pizza rolls in the oven, don't have to show up to work. I mean, sounds like a pretty good gig to me. Well, so that's why. Yeah, the remote working experience. And everybody said that the office market is dead. I want to let me jump in here. It is not dead. It's changing. It's evolving. And towards that, for instance, a lot of corporations. Did you hear that? Oh, I forgot the company. I just saw this a couple of days as well. Large corporation let their people go remotely from anywhere. So a lot of these people moved. Well, the company, the corporations now decided they need to actually come back to the office. And people yeah. are freaking out about it, right? They boycotted it. Yeah. <laughs> but in the in, in a lot of your large urban areas, there is a substantial amount of office space that's vacant. Yeah, you know, for multiple reasons. But in addition to that, though, what we're seeing is, you know, we keep talking about location. Well, something that's important when we're talking about this as well is the quality of that office space. A lot of those vacancies are coming from old office buildings, mm-hmm. right? It's the new ones with the nicer amenities. Apparently, ones that serve uh, lunch and stuff like Rob's place. Does. There is zero vacancy in it. <laughs> See, like I, I think they have one two thousand square foot space, and it's a, a twenty eight story building. Yeah. So, and so newer things they're demanding better amenities. They're also demanding better. Things such as air scrubber, better quality control, as far as not just the air, the lighting, common area space. So there's a lot of different factors that go into this. But it's your old, what we call the obsolete buildings that are the ones that are coming into play. Now, towards that, though, some of the opportunity there, you know, we've discussed development in the past. But towards that redevelopment or adaptive reuse of properties. Now, Robert, are you seeing a lot of that down in Florida? A decent amount, not necessarily here in downtown. Downtown, there's like no vacancy anywhere when it comes to office, mainly because there's like a thousand people moving here a day. But in other places, yeah, there's a there's a ton of adaptive reuse. There's people that are uh, figuring out a highest and best use that's more than it is right now. And now that construction costs have gone a little bit down, it's kind of feasible for them to do it. Uh, so yeah, I've seen a ton. Well, and it's something that, well, in every in across the country, this is a big thing right now. Is what do we do with all this office space? Some of the things that we've seen in your large urban environments, especially, are converting that office space to residential type space, whether it's condos or whether it's apartments. Well, especially apartments. We have a huge amount of apartments uh, under construction right now. A million. Yeah. You know, so. Seen it repurposed to those type of aspects. Now, one problem that we're seeing, however, and I believe Colliers did a study on this that I heard, uh, you know, I heard uh, one of the heads of research speak recently on this, was when you go in and look at an office building to repurpose it, you, he, I believe he, if I recall, he said that 15,000 square foot footprint. Now, that's the main footprint of like the main floor, okay? How much space does that take up? 15,000 square feet is about the maximum that it's really economically feasible to convert into residential space. And the reason why is because when you go larger than that, you get a lot of interior space and nobody wants to live in a property with no windows. Mm -hmm. And so when you get larger, you have all that interior space and what do you do with it? 
Now, some things that they're talking about is, well, we'll make the interior things like storage units with the condos or with the apartments on the outside. Another use that we've seen is that they're taking these large towering you know, office complexes and they're, it's becoming multi-use. So it's like, look, you know, it's 50% vacant, which is about the number I think nationally that we're running right now, 47% vacancy or something like that. So they're taking this property and they're saying, well, what we'll do is it's 50% vacant. We'll move all the offices to the first half of the building. We'll move all the tenants in there for that. Then we'll take the rest of it and convert it. Mm-hmm. Or here's one that I find really fascinating. It is uh, basically converting those empty those empty floors to hydroponic farms. So you get these urban farms. And I find that really fascinating. Uh, and it's it turns out to be very economically feasible as well. Because in the large urban areas, they're shipping. Think of all the shipping that they have to do every single day to bring in, you know, the trucks, the tolls, everything else to bring in all these goods. And now it's growing right there. So it cuts down a lot of the shipping costs. It also cuts down on things like pollution. Mm-hmm. I have a theory that I want to throw out that I was just thinking about. So we all know that the government likes to do things when, uh, especially during, you know, election season. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen this time, but maybe next time if this office dilemma carries on, because it's it's not going to all mm-hmm. bleed all at once. It'll bleed slowly. Do you think that they will maybe see an option to deliver some sort of credit of some sort? for developers to then make it economically feasible to convert those said offices. So if you do own one of those office spaces, the government's like, hey, we can't have this not being used. These buildings are starting to become dilapidated. The capital ex- expenses are becoming way too much. And the next thing you know, there's a you know, a $1.5 trillion bill that gets passed that is for something like that. You think that's a, you know, an option? Like, well, like, they, like bailout banks, they'll bail out uh, big office well converting them to residential such as apartments we already have tax credits out there for that specifically for affordable housing it's low-income housing tax credits and they can use that and those types of funds can be used to buy an existing property those tax credits used to buy an existing property and do all these capital improvements Mm -hmm. uh, bring it more up to modern day standards and also just make it look nicer. Or they can even develop property. I mean, I represent a lie tech developer right now, and we're constantly looking for land or to develop. So the tax credits come in. It has to make sense financially, period, for the, you know, for the build. But in addition to that, if they don't need the tax credits, they can sell the tax credits in the open marketplace. There's actually a marketplace where you can go and buy tax credits. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that. So yeah, yeah I mean the tax money. Yeah, so those funds are out there right now for the affordable housing. In addition to that, you're talking about affordable housing being an issue. Did you see that? I think we're facing. I forgot how many units. It's a lot of units in this country over the next couple of years because those tax credits basically, in order to quote unquote keep the tax credits, you have to hold that property for 
low-income housing for a number of years. Yeah, and it's usually a very long number of years. Yes. Now, a lot of those units that are coming due over the next two years. When that happens, there's concerns that the owners are now going to take them and convert them to market properties, market rate properties, and not low-income housing anymore. So there's a lot of concern about that out there. But on the other hand, as long as the government continues with the LIHTC credits, you know, there is still a lot of development going on. That's true. And I think that it'll eventually something's going to have to happen that will be a little bit more unprecedented. I don't know when you see different companies starting to convert towns into like their business towns and these massive conglomerates, but maybe like how Knoxville in the past four years went from a $350 rent to $1,350, uh, mm-hmm. that there are going to be other places that will then people will migrate to because they're more affordable. And then some massive conglomerates will come in and be like, hey, this is a great idea. We have good labor here. We could really make this a logistics hub like mm-hmm. Knoxville and like places like Kansas City. Uh, by the way, Kansas City is great uh, in regards to that because they're still under a, th- a thousand and they are about to get a new airport. They're about to host Super Bowl. They're about to do all these different things. And Kansas City a couple years ago. Aren't they doing part of the uh, World Cup maybe? Yeah, the World Cup too, I think. So it's things like that. People wouldn't have thought Kansas uh, Kansas City would be that place. But, you know, things like that can happen. I firmly believe that everywhere in America will eventually be $1,000 a month for rent. So if you are looking to invest um, and you see that there's a lot of companies moving somewhere and they have rent of $500 and you know that they will eventually become a metro, it's going to, it has, it's, you know, I've had, I don't know a city that has under a thousand dollar rent. Well, yeah. And we keep going back to rents, for instance, that's important. So as a corporation, if you're looking at office space and you're trying to find a place you know, for your office or relocating your company or building a company, it's important. Part of the demographics we run for those corporations and those companies are literally income demographics for the area and education levels for them, right? Because that's your workforce. So if you're moving someplace, you know, like, because that becomes a major decision. So if I'm it's like, hey, I'm moving out of Chicago, I'm going to locate to Kansas City. Yeah, not only might my rent be cheaper as far as for our office space, but I need to know, you know, what type of wages do I pay? So, you know, if you can cut your payroll substantially too, keep in mind, yeah, we're talking about rents as far as residential apartments, things, you know. But just like anywhere, it's also a factor of affordability. So wages. You know, people talk about, I hear this all the time, and it kind of gets to me. It's like, well, you know, the average person in this country only makes less than a 1000 because I travel a lot in the world. The average person in this country makes less than a $1,000 a year or a month. And you have to keep in mind, it's relative to what their cost of living is as well. So middle class is defined as once you step above your basic sustenance needs and you have some discretionary income, that is middle class. So if you can buy a house, and uh, we've all heard stories, you can get somewhere in the world, there are islands and stuff like that, $50,000 a year, you can live like a king, right? We've heard those stories. Well, that's also relative then. If you can live like a king on $50,000 a year, People can be happy 
living on $15,000 a year probably there. You know, they don't need the servants and the cooks and everything else. So on that, we're talking about office space and what's going on there. There's so much discussion in that. And again, as Rob just evidenced, it depends on where you're at, right? Geography, geography, geography. And on our next topic, we'll discuss, what do you want to talk about, Rob? I want to talk about deciphering the information that we consume to make our opinions. Ah, what what to believe and what not to with the media and socials. That's a great one. That's a great topic. Let's get into that. And what type of resources do you read, listen to, hear? And then who do you trust? All right. And that's it for now. The Business Casual Podcast is recorded in the Hurrah Studio and edited by Mark Harlan. 